0: Welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and laser submarines. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 384. So this week, we are definitely talking about two of these. We might get to the third topic. The first topic is submarine missing near Titanic. The second topic is going to be, is an engineer a scientist? Which is a question from a uh, from Reddit. And then the third possible topic is going to be uh, lasers enabling internet backbone via satellite to basically replace all those undersea cables, the fiber optics. Um, so let's go ahead and jump into the first topic, which is submarine missing near titanic use a 30 dollars logitech gamepad for steering so this is actually from this morning and this morning is tuesday was it uh june 20th and uh a tourist submarine named or called titan operated by ocean gate expedition has gone missing with five people on board during an expedition to explore the titanic wreck site. So yeah, there's, this is causing a lot of like internet stir because there's a lot of like questionable engineering design decisions that went into the submarine. And-
1: I think this is actually um, kind of in parallel to uh, space travel for just like tourism, where uh, is, are, are all the regulations and are all the safety considerations taken into account with that if it's just meant to be like let's throw some humans up there or in this case let's drop some humans down to the bottom of the ocean so they can see something and come back up and pay us a few thousand dollars for it
0: yeah it, it's like the uh, what you it's a really uh, good analogy there it's like a spaceship because uh, Futurama has an episode where they they talk about it's like my, my favorite jokes ever on Futurama is uh, so they're in the spaceship right this big green spaceship and uh they're actually like on this planet fishing and uh, a fish bites a, a line from like the it's for some reason they have a tether and it's a, an unbreakable tether made of like diamond or something like that. Some silly name. And uh, they catch this big fish. The line can't break. And so the fish drags them underwater. And so they're sitting on like the bottom of the, the bed of the ocean And they ask the professor who has designed the ship, you know, is the ship, you know, how much pressure can the ship safely take? And he says, I don't know. It's a spaceship. So somewhere between zero and one atmospheres, which (laughs) I think is like more. That's my one of my favorite jokes of of that whole TV series. Uh,
1: They're so they're so witty in that that show. And and that episode happens near the that's in like the first season. And it's just every time I go back and watch that show that that episode stands out for me which is just like god the writing is so good in this
0: yeah and uh, so we have the this is the same yeah I, I, that's a really good co- uh, idea is like it's a it's similar to what regulations for for space flight i guess for space flight there's you can kind of say it's like an airplane almost in terms of it's flying quote flying in the air so, like, FAA regulations might apply. Oh, they, they for sure do apply. Yeah. But for submarines, is there,
1: is there something for that for submarines? I bet you there is. There's, there, I would not be surprised if there's some regulatory body. I mean, I don't, maybe I would be surprised. Uh, but, you know, if you go out into no man's land, can you just, you know, develop your own submarine and go down? Maybe. I mean,
0: technically, you can just hold your breath and just hold a big old brick of cement.
1: I guess you are a submarine.
0: And then you are a submarine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, but okay. So this particular submarine called the Titan, right? I I guess was attempting to take people down to visit the wreck of the Titanic. Oh, it, it,
0: it has in the past as well.
1: This is not like okay. it's
0: inaugural journey. It's been doing it for man, a, a decade at least, I think.
1: Yeah, and so the Titanic sunk in some pretty deep water. It's not like it's, uh, it, it, like, it was a very deep part of um, of the Atlantic. I think Google's telling me 13,000 feet. So this is not, like, a simple dive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, uh, apparently this submarine had some, like Parker mentioned, some questionable design choices in it. And, and what's interesting is the... the article that that we have talking about this is is pointing out some things that are maybe a little bit superficial perhaps the article is being a little bit unfair to the designers because it's saying like oh inside the uh, the capsule there's a light bar that looks like it came from ikea or something like that it's like well but that's not integral to necessarily the you know the safety of the people although it does beg the question if if you're willing to make some questionable design choices inside, what are you comp- potentially compromising on the outside?
0: Correct. Um, I would agree there, because the... I, I look at it as... I, I can't remember how much does it cost. How much do you have to pay... Uh, was the company? Ocean... What is the company called? Uh...
1: uh- Ocean Gate expedition. Yeah, Ocean
0: Gate. I think you have to pay Ocean Gate like thirty thousand dollars to go down in this submarine. Maybe it's even more. No, three hundred thousand. So it's about three hundred thousand times it's usually five people in it. Um, to go down and they're using a thirty dollar like I pulled it from, like, the discount bin at GameStop game controller to control it. Now, that's – on the flip side, though, like, the U.S. military uses Xbox controllers to control, like, UAVs and, and the like. But mm-hmm. that's a first-party controller, not, <laughs> not like a Mad yeah. Cats.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, okay, and, and honestly, that's one of the big things that, that I've been seeing go around, not just – I mean, let's let's be honest. This is a terrible situation, oh, yeah. and we don't we don't want to take this lightly. There are lives at at uh, at risk right now, but the um, a lot of a lot of people are complaining because they're seeing these, like Parker said, like budget items uh, that are kind of critical or integral to this submarine, including like a game controller that is. Looks like something you would buy to just play some random stuff on your computer and just have some fun with. But this is the main controller for this submarine. On top of that, I did notice in some of these images, and this this is just I don't know. I'm, I'm poking a little bit fun here, but this controller had some modifications done to it, where there were actual 3D printed stems attached to the to the joysticks on it. So it gives it that like nice you know made at home look. Uh, for your main controller for a submarine. Yeah, it's really this,
0: my biggest concern is they have all these customer level, uh, what is it? Um, There's a certain term for it. Customer or consumer, basically consumer grade things to build a submarine, which is fine, but it's what you said. It gives it that, Made at home DIY look, which as you're paying three hundred thousand dollars, like you could probably build this submarine for three hundred thousand dollars.
1: Oh, I doubt that. I, I I bet you would need quite a bit more than that.
0: Okay,
1: okay, four hundred thousand dollars.
0: <laughs> there you go.
1: Yeah, when the schedule skev- the schedule slipped a little bit, so okay. you need an extra hundred k. <laughs> yeah, actually, so have I, you I, seen I would, the I,
0: picture of the submarine?
1: I've actually only seen pictures of the internal. Um, let me look. Let me look this up. I mean, it's in the news all over the place, so it's probably not hard to find a picture of it. Oh, it, yeah, it looks like a big tube. Yeah, it's just a. T- I mean, most submarines are just tubes. Yeah, but this one is is quite tubular. Um,
0: a lot of people were actually making fun of the look of this thing. I think the only thing that I am kind of concerned is it looks like the legs are ratchet strapped on. <laughs>
1: It does kind of look like just legs attached to giant hose clamps that go around it. Yeah.
0: I mean, I don't want to knock this. Like, again, how much money people are paying to ride this thing, it's like we should go into business of taking people down to go see that Titanic.
1: Yeah. Hmm. This this a, market is prime part. for
0: disruption. <laughs> <laughs>
1: The, the 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 under the the ocean floor is is entirely unviewed by tourists. <laughs> oh. um, the, yeah. Okay, look, we're dogging it, and but but at I the, mean, same the time, whole internet the, is though. Yeah, the whole internet is, but 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 this submarine does. This isn't its first voyage. It has a track record. It has it has what it, what do they call it? Pedigree of of it actually. Working correctly, you know, yes. Do you know working correctly and doing something? So yeah, it's not just like a, a tin can that they threw down there.
0: No, no. I mean, yeah, they could be worse. It could be like a um, how how deep would like a, uh, what's the like upside down bell, that goes underwater. Upside down bell. Diving bell. Oh. I guess they could just send a diving bell down, which would be even.
1: I don't think they don't I don't think that goes that deep. I Doesn't mean the go Titanic thirteen thousand feet is pretty deep,
0: yeah How that's long?
1: one of the biggest reasons why the Titanic uh you know there hasn't been a lot of um bringing any of it up and why it took so long to locate it and explore it is because it was so deep.
0: Diving bells are around a thousand feet, so we are thirteen times thirteen
1: times yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's not it's not that simple
0: i I would say the the kind of a, where we should go with this discussion is i i think the uh, with this controller, okay we're just going to focus on that just because that's where everyone's looking at is yeah. supposedly we don't know for sure. But supposedly that's the actually the only way to control this submarine as well. Like there's no backup controls and it's also wireless. Like I can imagine like the worst case scenario is just the batteries are dead. Yeah. And that would be a hell of a way to go.
1: Apparently there's still 40 hours of oxygen.
0: Oh, okay, I'm glad that there's way more oxygen than required then for that mission.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, actually, that would be an interesting thing. If anyone knows, if, if you go, if you do any kind of deep sea exploration, is there a regulated margin of oxygen that you have to take? Like, if you have a planned mission that is, I don't know, three hours, do you have to take 2x that amount, six hours? Or is, you know... Are there regulatory bodies that that handle this? I would not be surprised if there was. Yeah, I mean, there's regulatory bodies that that handle, uh, you know, maritime stuff. So, you know, uh, so why would there not be? For I think the
0: maritime stuff is only. I don't think there's any international though. Like, mm. I could be completely yeah, wrong though, because yeah, it's the same thing. Like the FAA only regulates over U.S. territories. Yeah. Um, there must be an international standard, an ISO standard,
1: right? (laughs) Yeah. Gosh, what do you even So, so right now the submarine is sitting on the bottom of the ocean. Well, we don't know. It's assumed. Oh, it's
0: sitting on the bottom. Like did they, wouldn't they lose contact with it?
1: I well no I'm I'm sorry I was saying that as a matter uh, as a matter of fact but I don't actually know I I, I it was more of a question I right now I'm assuming it's sitting on the bottom of the ocean but uh, I guess we don't actually know
0: mm-hmm. I I would yeah, say ha- I would be for how much people I'll put it this way if I paid that much money I would hope to see at least an Xbox controller that's <laughs> wired. <laughs>
1: Uh, that, or, or, you know, backup batteries or a second controller. Yeah, like, they can, like, flip
0: the seat cushion up, and then there's, like, an access panel for, like, the super secret controls.
1: But, but, uh, okay, it's not the controller that caused a failure, right? I mean,
0: it could, we, we don't know,
1: but it could be. Yeah. Also, I guess they don't have any communication out correct
0: no they have not been able to contact it with i think as of this writing uh us talking about it like eight hours hmm. so well I'm,
1: if anyone knows of any kind of regulations um hit us up that'd be interesting to learn about
0: yeah i definitely want to know like is there any regulations associated with this if so how do we bypass it to start our new uh titanic tour startups I promise it won't be a Logitech controller,
1: but there will be an Xbox.
0: It'd be Xbox controller.
1: <laughs>
0: Anyways, um, I really hope that when we sign off for this podcast, we like refresh the article and everyone. Then one is safe and sound. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I would say for devices, I, I would say for if you're designing a submarine or a spaceship is having redundant controls is probably a good idea.
1: Oh yeah, 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 probably critical.
0: Yeah. It's like with uh even in cars uh that are just speed around on the surface of this planet. I mean, I'll, most of your systems have some kind of backup. Your, your brakes have a mechanical cable, usually as a parking brake or emergency brake. Your uh, steering usually has a mechanical linkage, at least, that goes to it, where sort of the power steering goes out. You still have that. And then yep. um, what other backups do you have on that? I think, actually, that's only steering and braking, because you don't need a backup for, like, going fast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, the uh, the failure mode on that is to not go fast, right?
0: Yes, not go faster. And then you know, airplanes have uh, multitude levels of backups for hydraulic systems and that kind of stuff.
1: You know, it would be really fun um, to sometime get a reliability engineer to come on and talk about component reliability, and that 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 spans a large. You know
0: that's a lot of risk and- range
1: of disciplines but but like for instance in in electronics, there's high reliability parts and uh and and you can actually pick parts based on how they fail uh and and you know you can you can have capacitors that do fail open or some that can fail short and uh, you can adjust your design based on that that would be really fun to talk to a reliability engineer,
0: yeah reliability electronics engineer, mhm yeah. Or, I or on the flip side, and they might be that same kind of person, but, you know, maybe like a risk management. Like, when do you need a auxiliary backup system?
1: Well, and, okay, so, most of the time, the way you know that is you sign up to be under some regulatory body, and it just tells you this is what you need.
0: Well, regulatory bodies, the reason why those exist or those rules exist is because it's written in blood.
1: <laughs> Oof, that's that, that's kind of morbid, but yeah, in a lot uh, of ways.
0: But so it's like, oh, this one thing failed and a lot of people didn't make it. Thus, we need a backup for that system. But yeah. it's like, is there a way to look ahead? And the answer is yes, because oh, yeah. they've been doing it with uh, space travel, really. I mean, the early days of space travel was... There was a lot of... It was written in blood. But nowadays, it's way more like pre-planning for failure analysis and risk management. So it's like, when do you... When is the risk too high where you need a backup system um, for a, a main primary failure?
1: And we have a ton of data now on part stress. Um, and so... Part stress and uh, part reliability in terms of lifespan, based off of those sp- uh, stress parameters that you put in, you can you can with a fair bit of accuracy predict when a component is going to die based off of the conditions that it is placed on or placed in, and huge amounts of sweat gets put into figuring that out because of things like going down to the bottom of the ocean or going out to space. You don't just call up AAA and have them roll up and fix your thing for you, right?
0: When space AAA is a thing, it'd be a marvel to be had at the human
1: race. That would be, that. that's a Futurama episode, a future one right there, guaranteed. It's already written there. It's already written right <laughs> there, yeah. So I, I'm hoping that they,
0: the five people in that uh, submarine are safe and sound. And they decided just to put their phones on, on a, uh, uh, what is it? Mute? No, there's a, oh, uh. Oh, Air,
1: not airplane mode, submarine mode.
0: Do not disturb mode. Submarine mode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Any, anything else, Steven?
1: No, no, I, I, I think you've summed it up there.
0: Okay. All right, next topic is an engineer a scientist and this i was going back and forth about in my own brain too about this whole thing Mm. is uh this question was asked on reddit um the question is whether engineers can be called scientists um some people are saying that engineers who use scientific methods in their work should be considered scientists Whereas other people think scientists are generally just working on research. Uh, okay,
1: but 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 he, here's here's some something to keep in or to think about. It's easy to tell when somebody is an engineer, but how do you tell when somebody is a scientist? Because you you don't just go to school or college and pick the degree scientist. What degree from college constitutes you as a scientist?
0: yeah, and the fun interesting thing you just said about that was college degrees because I'm pretty sure my degree in engineering says bachelor of science on it.
1: yeah oh, that's true. yeah. I, you know, if you wear a white lab coat in your day job, you are a scientist. there you go that's <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I would say I would say yes. However, it does depend on your job. Because I've met engineers who do things that don't seem like engineering whatsoever. And they work in, like, I don't know, writing procedures for, you know, how to evacuate their skyscraper building. And that's, like, their main job. Is that them being a scientist? Well, Probably not.
0: I would say the main thing with the science, like, what is the definition of a scientist? Like, let's just type in what is scientist in Google. Definition. A person who is studying or has expert knowledge of one or more natural or physical sciences. So it actually has nothing to say research at all in that title. This is from Oxford. So actually, your person who is designing procedures to evacuate a skyscraper is an expert in the physical sciences of removing people from a building
1: as quickly as possible (laughs) removing people i like that well okay and here's the definition of an engineer a person who designs builds or maintains engines machines or public works
0: pretty sure that's not we wouldn't be under that
1: well you you maintain engines
0: Oh, well, yeah, but I that's a mechanic. <laughs> unless unless it's a locomotive, then you're an engineer.
1: <laughs> yeah, but if you're just the guy who drives I'm sorry, not just, but if you are the guy who drives a train, you're an engineer. That's true. I yeah. like how
0: when you read cuz engineering in a lot of United States states are it's a protected term. And there's always the exception for if you drive a train. Yeah. I wonder how hard it is to drive a. I mean, I bet you it's like a for Like I said just like it's like if you just like sit in a machine, you can kind of figure out how it works. But like, what would it take to be trained up to be? Because I would say, like, sure, you can go drive a locomotive, but you're not a you're not an actual locomotive engineer. Unless someone pays you to be one. Right? It's kind of like that. I view the same thing as a welder. You're not a welder unless someone's paying you to actually for how good your welds are.
1: (laughs) I I was mentioning this to my friends at work the other day. We were talking about, are we professionals or not? And (laughs)
0: and
1: it was mainly a joke, but it was like, do you get paid to do it for your profession? Therefore, you're a professional.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's honestly, that's the number one. If you, what are you a professional in what you get paid to do
1: yeah somebody e- either, either warranted or not let's hope it's warranted but somebody thought you were capable of doing the job well for, for X amount of dollars and you voluntarily signed a contract saying you would do it you are a professional in that field mm-hmm. now if you say the phrase you're a professional at that field that means something else right I mean, yeah. if it's your first day on a job that you've never done before, you're getting paid for it, but are you a professional at that field?
0: Probably You're not. a professional, but not an expert.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah. I actually once, in a in an interview, had somebody ask me, uh, so do you think you're an expert in this field? And I looked up straight in the face and I was like, oh, God, no. And they were like, oh, good answer. And I was like, who would look at you straight in the face yeah, and be like yes I am an yes. expert <laughs> yeah, especially if you're under the age of let's say 50 and you say yes to that I mean'm there's plenty of cases where that's true, but like no I would say <laughs> the an, answer is no For me,
0: you need to be in the top one percent of whatever it is and then you're an expert. like I've taken apart like this way. like would you say I'm an expert in Jeeps The answer would be I, no
1: Well but but the <laughs> reason why I'm I'm even questioning this is I'm trying to think of like I would I wouldn't okay I would say no but I wouldn't put you super far away from it if you were working on Jeeps as your profession you might be an expert by this age. If you had been doing it your entire life and you did it as your day job, if you were cranking eight hours a day every day on Jeeps by age, you're 36 now, Mm -hmm. um, then I might consider you one.
0: Yeah, I I might be an expert in parts of my Jeep, but definitely not the whole system. And it's definitely like, I definitely go ask people who I consider experts in Jeeps, lots of questions still. Right. And I would say when you are an expert, when you have to ask less questions, even though asking questions as an expert is not a bad thing. I think you're at the point where like, you don't need to ask a lot of questions about whatever it is.
1: I think expert is people are asking you the questions.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, too. Or you are asking questions that you just can't Google anymore.
1: (laughs) Actually, maybe 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 a one definition for expert is when people have questions, you come to mind first as having the answers.
0: Yeah, that could be there, too.
1: Isn't the rule of thumb 2000 hours to become proficient at something and it's 10,000 hours to become an expert? Yeah, but that's like,
0: I think that most of that is like uh, hand-eye coordination, like painting or
1: playing an instrument, playing
0: instruments, not knowledge. Because, like, I'll put it this way. Let's say you were an astronomer, like studying the universe. I don't think 10,000 hours you would be an expert at the universe because we just still don't even know everything about it.
1: Oh sure. Yeah, but but I would think that once you've spent ten thousand hours on something, you're you're no longer um, wide uh, a wide swath of knowledge. You've started to really oh, focus so you're, in on you're things. So you're an
0: expert at one particular part of the night sky,
1: exactly. Or like you're an expert at that one star that you found, and you know everything about that one star, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, I can, I can see that.
1: Ten thousand hours actually is not that much. Ten thousand hours is one point one four years. Now, I mean, yeah, that's that's a lot, but let's say you know, average human lives to seventy-five, eighty. Let's just say eighty. That's a little over one eightieth of your whole life. Yeah. Now well, that you, is one point one four. You know. Well, if you take solid years, if you take
0: six hours. Of your day to work on something to be that expert at ten thousand. I mean, you're still talking, you know, five almost five years. It's like four and a half years.
1: not yeah. a while. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's totally a while, but it's not like half your life. Mm-hmm. It does sound like
0: a big number though. Yeah, There's a lot of zeros in there.
1: <laughs> yeah, a lot of. <laughs> it also, you, you also have to consider, like, of those 10,000 hours, how many of those were quality hours? Like, what is the D rating factor on those 10,000? Is it really 20,000? Because, like, of those 10,000, only 50% of them or 50% of your time during that is actually like sinking in and settling in your brain. It's,
0: it's like listening to an audiobook and you fall asleep halfway through a chapter. Yeah. And you wake up and it's like chapter 8 and you fell asleep at chapter 2. It's like, "Well, you got to start
1: all, start all over." Yeah, you got to go back. I was talking to my buddy who has a um 10-year-old son who is learning to play the saxophone right now. And the the rate at which this kid is able to just pick things up and like actually accomplish Learning this thing, even though like he's not fantastic, but the rate at which he's learning is insane. Like, I'm so far past that point where I soak things up like a sponge. Like, I have to put so much effort into learning something right now. Uh, it, I don't. I mean, ten years old versus thirty six years old is very different. But um, so that's what I was meaning. Like the quality of the hours that you're mm-hmm. doing. Like if I if I went and tried to become an expert at something brand new right now it would be so much different than if i tried to do it when i was 18 i i you
0: know what i think you're selling yourself short on that uh mainly because when you try to for right now when you when you were 18 you could be you could just dive head first to go learn it and you didn't have anything else to learn but that one thing yeah it's like it's like going to college like you're when you go to college your job is to learn. So you're spending 10 plus hours a day learning stuff. Yeah. Whereas now you work an eight hour job, you come home, you have to go mow the lawn, go cook dinner, all that stuff. And then maybe you have an hour to like change for, for me. Like I, I can't switch gears real fast between disciplines as a good term for it. So sure. like, I can't like switch gears and go learn Something that's completely different from what I've been doing all day. So I kind of have to get in that mode, I guess. Um, that might be what your problem is too. It's like you just you're so busy, and your brain's thinking about other problems in the background, like in the background processes of your brain. You're you're solving stuff at work in your brain while trying to learn something that's completely different and might not even be related.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. The, the, I guess the difference between me at age 36 and me at age 18 is I know, I know the value of an hour of what that means to me now, whereas at 18 an hour meant nothing to me. Hmm. Uh, and so like, I also, I know far more how to do directed education now whereas back then like i was just like learn anything in this hour and that's good but now i'm like no this is what i have to study for the next hour and i try to stay as focused as possible so like my the way i approach learning is completely different now than it was then but but you you know at the same time like here here's actually what's what's happening today with me i spent eight hours at work you know uh laying out a PCB and identifying PFETs to be able to go into space. And then I come home and I've got two hours of podcasting that I have to do. And immediately after this, I have to switch gears because my dryer's not working. So I have to go and fix that after that. And then I do plan to spend some time doing some, uh, some wiring of a control cabinet for my CNC later tonight. And so, like, yeah, having to, like, switch mindsets but the funny thing is on all of those there there's so many new things in what's happening there some of those aren't new like i've fixed this dryer so many times it's not new I, I know exactly what i need to do on it but uh but i know i know what i needed to go do to execute all of this so i don't feel like i'm learning anything new today i'm i'm executing on what i learned years and years ago I guess I'm get just getting old. That's just how it goes, right?
0: That is one thing that is common between every single person on this planet. Actually, uh
1: you might I, you might say universal. <laughs> I'll say uni-
0: everything in the entire universe, actually. Everything just gets older.
1: Yeah. Yeah, welcome to being
0: alive. Or being I I, I, I joke with even if you're inorganic dead matter, you still get older. You still age. I guess you're right? not I guess at that point you're not a you though. You're an it. You're stuff? Stuff. I like <laughs> that. We should, stuff, ch- we, should,
1: we should change um matter um to stuff. We should stop stuff. just using the word matter and just call it stuff. Or or mass. Yeah, let's let's not say mass anymore. Let's just say stuff. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Physics one one Stuff stuff.
0: <laughs> How stuffed stuffs? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, great. Okay, uh, circling back engineering a scientist, we still haven't <laughs> um, I'll, I'll say, if going by the definition that Oxford says, which was I unfortunately closed it, but it was an expert in, in, uh, basically physical sciences or anything like that. Um,
1: definitely an engineer fits that. Except, except, I think you can be a scientist and not be an expert. That's true too.
0: Um, well, according to that definition, not. But, uh, <laughs> you have to be an expert in something. What was it? There was, a, there was an or in there as well. It was... Oh, who is studying?
1: Oh, okay. But so not an... Who okay. is studying
0: yeah. or has expert knowledge in natural or physical sciences? We're all just studying every day. That's the thing is, engineering is... A lot of your job is learning stuff. And... Apply, well, learning and then applying that, that, that stuff.
1: I okay the one thing that I've found fairly universal about engineers is that people think that we know a lot of stuff and they don't realize that we don't really know all that they think we do but engineers are not tend to not be af- afraid of learning new stuff so your boss comes up to you and asks you to do something that you've never done before like okay I'll go figure it out or yeah. People ask you questions you have no idea what the answer is. Okay, I'll go find the answer for you.
0: Yeah, the, the 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 trick to that is to say you don't know, and I'm going to go figure it out.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's just general, like, business. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah it's, well, there's a lot of people who will say,
0: oh, yeah, I know that, and I just don't. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. But, yeah, it, and go. And, anyways, it, that's a great way to, like, Kind of pivot your job, especially if you're like kind of newish at your job or new in engineering, to pivot your job to be you know more learning instead of just being like number crunching or or just implementation side. Is no, I don't know exactly how to do that, but I know how to go figure out how to go do that, which actually is like when you look back at your engineering education, I'm hoping by when you're, like, Stephen I's age, which is, like, a decade after, after education, you, re- you realize school wasn't about memorizing what was in those books. And if you have a professor that's all about just memorizing what's in the books, you're probably not going to remember that a couple years afterwards anyways. But it's learning how to figure out how to learn something. It's, like, it's like a derivative of learning.
1: It's part of it is a game. It's just like yeah, the, the 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 you know the 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 school says, you know, jump through these hoops, and you know this one's on fire. Let's see if you can jump through this, and you say, yeah, I can do it. And one of the ways you do that is professors ask you for really tough things to that you have no idea what they're talking about, and then you have to turn around and look them straight in the face and tell them what you learned and that's like that's cool
0: yeah it's a big difference between my first calculus class and my last calculus class because i had to take like three calculus classes my first one was definitely like like introductory derivative that kind of stuff but it was honestly like at least how my professor taught it it was just like learn it was just memorizing the motion to do stuff I did. I was terrible at it. It's like advanced
1: I'm, arithmetic at that point.
0: Yeah. It's just learning how to write the scribbles down on this sheet of paper in the right order. Yeah. And, but the, my last class, my professor taught it more as like pattern recognition and analyzing the problem that way. And I, I, that was like my first A ever in math. <laughs>
1: so. That's awesome. You know, uh, whenever whenever I meet people who are n- not in technical fields and they say, oh, I really hate math, I always question them about that. Uh, and, and 99% of the time, the reason they hate math is because they actually hate arithmetic that you do in grade school. And whenever they're presented with a problem that they don't know how to do, they just look at it and say like, Oh, I don't know how to do that where the key word there is do because arithmetic was taught as like you said, just like a string of actions that you do in order to reach. It's a trick. They like your, your school teachers in grade school teach you how to do the trick such that you can get, you can write the right number at the bottom of the page and leave the class. That's, that's how most people treat math where Instead of thinking about it, of it's not how do I do this problem, it's how do I think about this problem. Most people don't consider math that. They consider math as like, okay, I write this number right here on the page, and I write this other number right next to it, and then I draw a bar over it, and then I put a period here, and then I do... It's It's just a series of actions that they know they need to take without understanding at all the consequence of what those numbers are actually doing. So when I, I find it surprising how many people actually say they hate math, but don't understand what they were doing in math. And my guess is a lot more people would enjoy math um, if they actually were sitting down and thinking about, like, how is this helping me do anything? Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I'm still going to stand by that. I, I just don't like doing math. I'd like to let, yeah. I'd like, again, though, that sends back what you are just talking about. I'd like to develop, or I, I'm, I can set up a system or a program or my calculator to do the math part. But I, I understand how to do the math part, though. Uh,
1: I mean, and, I know and, how to understand. I, I don't think you dislike doing it once. You dislike doing it right. any number more than once.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's, well, that's just the mantra of almost <laughs> everything <here> for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that's not, not just doing it. Like, I rotate my tires on my Jeeps and do the oil change. That, like, that's a thing that constantly happens. I think it's more of like doing things well. Once. I was meaning
1: math specifically.
0: Yeah, maintenance is a different thing.
1: You don't, you don't. Ah, oh, that's another question. Do you maintain math? Mm. Like, whenever you're done with math, are you just done with it?
0: That's an interesting
1: question. Because, like, yeah, I mean, math doesn't wear out. <laughs> so, but like your tires wear out or your oil gets dirty and you need to maintain yeah. it. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think there's just
0: a stark difference there, at least in my brain, on that kind of stuff. Like, yeah. design work is you don't have to and again it's not like hitting the design goal on the first try is that's impossible like there's always going to be iterations it's i don't know i guess it's it's that whole adage of like uh doing the same thing again and expecting a different result i think that's the the frame reference i'm in because I see that a lot, where like, oh, let's just do it again. It's like, well, do do, are you just do you expect the same answer if slow? Good. If you're expecting a different answer, then uh, what what are you doing?
1: <laughs> the, the, I I remember being younger and uh, and my father telling me, you know, if if your computer, if you ever ask your computer to do something and it does, you know, whatever. And uh, you weren't happy with that. He's like, if you if you ask it to do it again, don't expect a different result. And as I've learned more about electronics, i i have to I have to refute that and say, like, nah, there's there's actually a likelihood that it could give you something different.
0: <laughs> I mean, especially with uh, with this whole new like neural network and AI kind of stuff too, where it's uh, non deterministic
1: systems now well they, they they are i don't think they're non deterministic they're just extremely unlikely deterministic
0: right okay
1: uh, <laughs> i i know i'm being a little bit extremely unlikely <laughs> no you you are right though you are right well what well, like with with any ai algorithm you technically could follow it backwards right mm-hmm. there it would be impractical to do so but I guess theoretically possible that you could follow it backwards.
0: You you are right,
1: isn't uh, that sort of? Gosh, we're going all over the place with this. But uh, isn't that like the whole argument with crypto and the SHA or the SHA algorithms, where it's, that technically you could, but it would take so long for you to. Uh, oh, you mean the blockchain? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean that's the
0: whole point of the blockchain is is the, the ledger so to speak is built into the system at, at a fundamental level.
1: And it's so um, impractical that anyone could follow it back, but computers are deterministic at the end of the day. Or these algorithms are. Perhaps Good. perhaps I'm wrong on that and there's someone yelling in Yeah, the at blockchain right works now.
0: completely different than how like modern AI works. Yeah. Blockchain is designed to be deterministic. <laughs> Whereas like A modern neural network is you feeding it a bunch of data and then it it thinks in quotes
1: well but 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 if if say you asked it to draw you asked an ai to draw me a picture of darth vader and it goes to one pixel on there uh, and and it has to make a decision on what color that pixel is going to be. You could follow the algorithm through its whole network and find out how it decided that that pixel needs to be black, right? So what's interesting if, about that? If you is had enough you, effort, you could
0: with the same model. You can ask it the same prompt, and it will give you a different picture.
1: Well, because the variables that go into it, time is one of them, right? I don't know. Not. Well, no, not specifically, but but in terms of when it does a search, things may be different between one search and another search. So that's what I mean by time being involved in there.
0: Well, a lot of... No, I'm talking about, like, you can have those, those image AI models on your computer, and it only has access to its own model. And if you ask it the same prompt, it will give you something else. Maybe it's using some other kind of, like, randomness under the hood to help... Like, yeah. stir the pile of data around with a big old shovel. But um, <laughs> whenever I do that, there's, there's an XKCD comic about, like, data scientists, and that's all they do. This is a joke, by the way. All they do is just have a big old pile of data, and the scientists is just there shuffling the same data around until the output is what they want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so okay. away. He's an engineer
1: or a scientist. Uh, it, uh, short, yes. short answer. Yes. I say yes, too. Yeah. I, I, right. yeah, Moving I on.
0: Yes. Took us uh, 28 minutes to get to that. <laughs> 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 okay, um, last topic for the day. Lasers enable internet backbone via satellite and may soon eliminate need for DC cables. You know, we I see this pop up... Um, every couple years, something like this pops up. And uh, basically they're bouncing, well, at least what I'm pretty sure how I understand it is they're bouncing lasers off satellites, mirrors, and they intercept the laser. Like basically they're using like fiber, like the air is the fiber optic, Um, and then bounce it back. And uh, they get high-speed communication that way. You know, this, (laughs) What pops in my brain is SimCity 2000, and the mic... You ever play that game, Steven?
1: Oh, I loved that game back in the day. So
0: there's a power plant in SimCity 2000 called the Microwave Receiver Generator. And it's a big microwave dish. And so the idea is there's satellites, big satellites that have solar panels, basically, uh, you know, around the SimCity Earth. And... They collect the energy, and then when they pass over your, your radar dish, or your, your microwave dish, they beam the energy down into your generator. Well, sometimes they miss.
1: <laughs> and then <you> cook <laughs> and a city.
0: And cat, on fire. Um, I think that's always been the problem with these systems, is uh, you always had a lot of error rates, because one, air turbulence, which they supposedly have overcome... With this new system and two like the precision needed to bounce the laser or it is very precise um but also computers have gotten way better and with precision so that might be solved too
1: yeah okay i i have to admit it, it, what came to mind for you with SimCity 2000 what came to mind with me is from the article that we have here it shows a picture of what looks like a a telescope that's beaming a laser onto some mountains and then a picture of it, that laser getting reflected off of something. It is totally Lord of the Rings when, uh, you know, Gondor calls for aid and they, they're lighting the torches and the torches are going across the mountains. Like that is the first thing that came to mind. And it totally makes me like, if I was in charge of this project, instead of broadcasting hello world or something like that, the very first thing I would send across this is Gondor calls for aid.
0: And so they're also beaming, yeah, yeah, it's satellites too. Yeah, I, I actually just looked at that first picture, and they're beaming it ac- across like a mountain range. But yeah, I totally like Iron Gondor kind of thing, or uh, the Fire of Gondor. Um.
1: So that's interesting. I guess I guess the the, the biggest the biggest hurdle to come uh, to uh, overcome here is the just the the atmospheric um, interference, right? Mm-hmm. Because I I mean, that's one of the biggest uh, uh, hurdles to overcome with um, uh, telescopes that uh, they have the whatever the active system is where they uh, get rid of distortions due to turbulence in the atmosphere. I would think you would have to do the same thing. And probably it's probably significantly worse if you're doing, you know, beaming horizontally.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And. What's interesting about this too is, first of all, it's what they're do, their tests are line of sight. I mean, it's still like fifty plus kilometers, which is that's pretty far away, but it's still line of sight. Um, what's so in uh, what, what Star Wars book am I listening to right now? But it's something interesting because in a lot of Star Wars, they just talk, they just talk about communication, especially the movies. They just talk about communications being communications. In like this it
1: just b- happens,
0: or it just happens, or but in this book, uh, oh yeah, it's the uh, book three of the new uh, Thron leg- uh, uh, Legacy uh, series called like Ascendancy, something like that. But they have two different kinds of transmissions, which is this is very like it's this has been done in in sci-fi all the time, but it's like in my recollection, the first time it's ever happened in Star Wars, where they mention like directional. Communication versus wideband. So like they call it a laser communication. Where they're beaming the information in a very narrow swath so it's not intercepted. Which actually they use in military applications all the time. And in um uh um and other commercial applications where they have a very narrow you know range of where their EMF is going.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: instead of like an omni-directional like directional antennas has been a thing for a long time like you can make what were they called? you can make directional Wi-Fi antennas with a can what were those called? I made one back in freaking high school for Wi-Fi? yeah
1: I think it was a cantina antenna with a Pringles can?
0: I, I I just use a soup can. Really? Yeah, yeah. cantina antenna. So, um, in in high school, me and my neighbor, we were part of a World of Warcraft guild, and he had really crappy internet, and I had kind of like decent DSL, and so I set up a what my Wi-Fi modem in a can that I could point at his room, and so when we would raid he would turn on my – he would connect to my Wi-Fi so he would have less lag. But I had a a, (laughs) – Did it actually work? It did work, yeah. So I had a a can that I could direct the Wi-Fi to his room. But you would move that thing like one degree off and he would get no connectivity.
1: Oh, so it it was sensitive.
0: Yeah. Well, it was a directional beam of EMF.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah, they, yeah, they work. I, I've read about some stories. People have like been able to like build special antennas to basically pinpoint beam Wi-Fi like miles. Uh,
1: you know, I saw a um, a YouTube video of a, of a guy who created a receiver that was like that. That he basically put on a tripod that was um, he could control. And he would sweep across and basically rasterize an image to find Wi-Fi hotspots and visualize them as a heat map to see where basically where something was uh, transmitting from.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah.
1: But what's interesting is
0: um, some of the tech they're using here is MEMS-based mirror systems. Isn't that uh, DSP from TI? MEMS? You mean DSP TVs?
1: Oh, just uh, DLP is what DLP. You're, about.
0: you're right, DLP. That's a yeah. that's
1: DLP. I guess potentially, but DLP it was specifically for yeah, m- but it was visible a light based mirror grid system. Maybe, but I think I, they're,
0: I, I think they're MEMS based. Uh,
1: yeah, no, no, DLP is, but I'm I'm talking about for. This laser thing, um, but the, there's a probably a maximum speed that you can tilt the little mirrors in a in a DLP. I don't remember what their PWM that, but uh, I don't know. Would it be fast enough to transmit laser internet? I mean, it's enough to transmit
0: light of the football game to your eyeballs. <laughs>
1: those DLP chips Oh, so
0: are really cool. Actually I I've read a little further. The they're using those MEMS based mirror systems to not do the frequency, but just to help correct the phases phasing problems of like the atmosphere.
1: Oh, okay. So that's what I was talking about. The atmospheric distortions are controlled by tilting a little yes. mirror. in a Yeah, okay. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Like, I I was thinking that You were saying that the the actual digital transmission was the mirror itself. And, yeah, that seemed a little bit wrong. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool.
0: As for replacing deep-sea cables, only if... The problem is it's still line of sight and you can't... We haven't figured out yet how... Oh, I wonder if you can... What movie was this? Was it Wanted? Where they curved the bullets?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What if you could curve a laser? Well,
0: if you could figure, if you could, I'm thinking of like using the air disturbance to bend it yourself, to bend it. But you'd have to like model that exactly, and it couldn't, and you have to predict it. Yeah. If you yeah, could yeah. do that, there's way other things you could do, <laughs> then. Move a laser through light. And, and fiber
1: optic, optic at that point is just way, way easier.
0: Yes. Uh, wait. So I don't really see. You, you'd have to. Let's say you're connecting Europe to the Americas. You'd have to go over the Arctic is what you'd have to do. Use the system.
1: Wait, why would you have to do that?
0: Because it's line of sight. So you would have to build a, a pole every 50 so mile. What is it? Or is it twenty six miles?
1: Oh, for the curvature.
0: Yeah. Unless you build them really tall. Now that <laughs> would be an interesting. Like, if this was the Star Wars podcast, we would say, "How tall would a pole have to be to like such
1: that such that two, the both coasts could see it?"
0: Yeah. It'd have
1: to be really tall. You're really
0: tall. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> so you could line of
0: sight this laser beam. Yeah.
1: And and the pole just has a mirror on it. That's yeah, it. Just has it. A mirror. It's just a stick no, it's, with it's a mirror. No, it's
0: actually a 64-inch DLP <laughs> TV up there. <laughs> oh,
1: that's great. Yeah, see engineers are scientists. Yeah, We're, see. Yeah.
0: Okay, I could see this replacing uh if the speeds that they're saying is true, I could see it replacing current um directional internet that's line of sight the, like there's antenna based systems that um, a lot of uh, small ISPs use and that and also um, uh, that this is how a lot of uh, um, news stations operate their vans um, a lot of that's line of sight maybe not even in, maybe not today but definitely back in the day it was line of sight. But, okay,
1: so so what about weather conditions, though? What if it's raining? It, what if it's just, like, completely... What if it's Houston Harvey and you're trying to shoot the internet through that,
0: right? I mean, even EMF has a problem with that a lot, so... Yeah. Um, what you do is you build a model of the rain and you bounce the light through the raindrops. Th- yeah, through the drops, yeah. You curve it through every drop. No, no, you <laughs> plan on hitting the drop, but it oh. refracts perfectly and bounces between each one and it actually as it hits each drop it speeds up a little bit so you actually oh. get better connectivity when it rains
1: um okay well i'll leave that up to you to develop that system
0: yeah we'll use ai
1: <laughs> well i mean if you say that you automatically get funding nowadays yeah we we will use
0: ai to disrupt the titanic tourist industry to bend lasers in raindrops.
1: Synergistically.
0: Synergistically. Engineers are our scientists. Agreed. Yeah, okay. So let's wrap this thing up, I guess.
1: Yep, I I agree. So, that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your hosts, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman. Take it easy. Later, everyone.
0: Thank you, yes, you, are a listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Steve and I know. Tweet us at MacFab at Longhorn Engineer or at Analog ENG or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. You can find it at MacFab.com slash Slack.